That's baby Brett Favre, man. Don't take care of y'all chicken. You feel me? Don't take care of y'all mental. Welcome in to the Fantasy Flexecution Podcast. I am your host, Kyle Shadi. With me now, and always, is my boy, Kyle Settle. What's up, man? This is fucking embarrassing. <laughs> this week started with the shit game on Thursday, albeit competitive and entertaining, so only fitting that it's going to end with a shit game with a shit team playing shit defense. You must be talking about the uh, Detroit Lions, right? No, the Lions defense could run laps around the Packers defense right now. It's it's halftime for context. I don't. We'll see how well this ages, but I have zero confidence that they suddenly turn things around after six quarters of just brilliant, pure incompetence under Joe Barry. My God, it's getting embodied, and like you said, well, it's I like mean, six six quarters into the season. You, <laughs> so you don't have Twitter, so you can't see like the the way I encapsulate this best. The 2016 Green Bay Packers defense is better than the 2021 Green Bay Packers defense. And that's saying something. That's the team that was starting like uh, Demarius Randall and Quentin Rollins at cornerback. And I think that's the embarrassing thing is half of this defense is Pro Bowl players. Why the hell are you playing like a bottom two or three defense? And, oh, gosh, this is a fantasy football show. I'm sorry. We need to get back on track. We got a long show today. Yeah, it's uh, it's a long one. We have some news, not not a ton. And then the injury roundup, which is basically going to be, uh, it, we'd be better off telling you guys who isn't injured than we would yeah, telling no you joke. who is. But we're going to go through all of them. And then we're going to follow that up with a week two recap, hitting every game, just the wave tops, telling you a little bit of something about a little bit of something. And then the contenders and rebuilders buys and sells. So full show on tap. Um, but like I said, we're starting with the news. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. Cannonball! X-Street, X-Street, read all about it. Check it out. Newspapers for sale. We have breaking news. Breaking news. I'm toasted. You are fake news. And boom goes the dynamite. Will Fuller returned to practice and should play week three versus Las Vegas. If you guys remember, he was out week one with a suspension and out week two with a personal issue. So it's great to see him coming back to the field, albeit probably without Tua. But we'll get into that a little bit later. Yeah, we'll see what the status is on Tua. But if Fuller is in the lineup, he has every chances, every bit the chances, every one of the other receivers in this room to take on that number one role. I expect big things, even if it doesn't happen immediately in his first start. Absolutely. Over to Chicago, Matt Nagy. Matt? Matt Nagy? Matt Nagy, <laughs> he made a PR official declare that Andy Dalton will be the team's starter when healthy. So, once again, he'll be in the injury roundup, but he did have a knee injury and we saw Justin Fields come in. Matt Nagy is saying that Andy Dalton is still the starter when he is healthy. Oh, no. No, he didn't say that. He made the PR official say. He would not disclose that information because he didn't want to give away his scheme for week three. And then when the reporter pushed back on that and said, that is not a scheme question, uh, he promptly said, oh, yes, it is. Uh, he's trying to be cute then, huh? He's playing 4D chess over there in Chicago, man. Typical, man. They're, they're outsmarting themselves over there. 
What is it what with you- the Andy Reid? Like, I the biggest two names I can think of from the Andy Reid coaching tree: Eric Bieniemy, who's obviously still with him, and then Matt Nagy. And Matt Nagy, I mean, his track record in Chicago speaks for itself. And then the fact that Eric Bieniemy gets four or five head coaching interviews every single year since 2018 and has still yet to come away with a job just makes me lose all confidence in the Andy Reid coaching staff. Is he just like holding their hands on the sideline and they're just mooching off his success? Because it it seems like the apple is far, falling very far from the tree. I mean, you had uh, Doug Peterson go over to Philly, and obviously, you know, it was a miracle season, but he has a Super Bowl under, under his belt. Yeah. And then Matt Nagy, who his rookie coaching year, everybody thought he was going to be, you know, the next great coach in the NFC, and finally the guy to, to save Chicago. You know, fast forward a few years, and then <laughs> yeah, we look at Matt Nagy, like a bottom five, bottom ten coach in the league. So this league comes at you fast for sure, and you can't really – Hang on that uh, coaching tree reputation for long. You get exposed quick in this. And I'm actually, I'm not even going to give you uh, Doug Peterson because I'm actually going to put him because of his time as a backup quarterback in Green Bay. I'm actually going to throw him on the Mike Holgram (laughs) coaching tree and take all the credit there. Okay. But, and then we we both agree Reggie White retires an eagle, right? Uh, Let's move on. (laughs) 49ers. They have, they're having some running back issues, a lot of injuries over there. So they're trying out Duke Johnson, TJ Yeldon, and Lamar Miller. A bunch of fantasy-relevant guys of yesteryear uh, all getting a shot to kind of reclaim some relevance here with the 49ers. All three of these guys had their stint, and it was a stretch of probably like eight years there where they all seemed like the most underutilized backs in the league for a short period of time. At first, it was Lamar Miller. Remember back to his days in Miami where he always just had insane efficiency, and then he goes to Houston, and he gets the volume, and the efficiency just falls off a cliff. Duke Johnson, which is everyone's fantasy darling, it just never materialized, and then TJ Yeldon was like a generic Duke Johnson, so even to a more extent. So these these are guys worth monitoring. We didn't think it would be a big deal really about on Johnson uh, when we were talking about that signing a week ago, but hey, look how relevant that may turn out to be after all these injuries. Then mm-hmm. we move over to Houston. Another week, another free paycheck for Deshaun Watson. He will not play in week three. God, I don't know what's going on over there. I feel like we have to say it every show. I'll, I'll leave my thoughts for David Cully. I'll save it for the weekly roundup. <laughs> I put a little something in there too. David Cully is about to get bodied. <laughs> All right, that'll take us to the injury roundup. Let's get it started. Jarvis Landry, week to week with a knee injury. Yeah, a chance for these young wide receivers to step up. Donovan Peoples-Jones, Anthony Schwartz, the time is yours. Tua Tagovailoa, week three is going to be up in the air for him with a rib injury, officially labeled day-to-day after getting carted off midway through this week two matchup. So they say it's going to be a pain tolerance issue, knowing the competitor Tua is, and then obviously it's got some big games coming up. I expect him to be out there, but obviously a lot could change between now and game day. Yeah, I mean, imagine if they lost week one of that close one in New England. You know, he would probably oh, yeah. try to force it. You know, Panic you can't mode. start 0-3. You, th- you think about it right now, they're, they're just percentage points behind Buffalo. In the div- and I know it's week two, week three. We really shouldn't even be paying attention to that right now. But they do have a nice division win week one, so they have every chance to compete. Yeah, with such a competitive division, you have to look at this uh, oh, yeah. divisional record specifically. And, you know, games this early, they matter just as much as the late game. So, as we mentioned earlier, Andy Dalton sustained a bone bruise, but he avoided a major knee injury. So, we're looking at a potential out week through, potential play week three. Either way, there's going to be controversy around who starts in Chicago. 
Yeah, it's going to be rough. I don't have a lot of confidence in Nagy to exactly handle it gracefully. And later on in the week, I'm sure there's going to be more information about this. But it's a muddy quarterback situation. Has been all season, all off season. On to another interesting quarterback situation. Carson Wentz, first year in Indianapolis, and he's already on his second injury. He injured both ankles this past weekend. Right as the game was kind of coming to a head, they had to, to have a game-winning drive, and he couldn't get out there on two busted up ankles. We're still kind of waiting for an update on him, but as of right now, a double ankle injury doesn't exactly sound like he's going to be ready for week three. So does that count as his second injury of the season or his third injury of the season? You got to take one for each ankle, right? (laughs) Yeah. He's got two and three, his second and third injuries currently. So as we mentioned earlier, the San Francisco backfield got banged up. Trey Sermon is in the concussion protocol after taking a massive hit on his only carry of the day. Jermichael Hasty has an ankle injury. He left the game early. And Elijah Mitchell was out and then came back into the game after suffering a shoulder injury. So between Elijah Mitchell, Carrion Johnson, Trenton Cannon, and the guys that they are uh, taking on for, excuse me, taking on for warm or workouts, you're going to be looking at a very inexperienced or just lacking juice backfield. So Elijah Mitchell's role is probably secure, don't you think? I would think so. It's really uncommon to have a situation like this in Dynasty Fantasy Football where you really have to monitor the waiver wire for these guys. But this is one of those situations where whoever gets in the backfield is going to be relevant. So stay on your toes. Be ready to make a move. This one hurts. LaVisca Chenault left week two with a shoulder injury. It's not considered severe after an MRI uh, that he got this morning. That being said, things in Jacksonville aren't looking very bright. And another injury to, in my opinion, their most talented pass catcher, it's uh, it's not looking good for them. Hey, nowhere to go but up, right? Sure. Famous last words, I guess. Tyrod Taylor was injured in week two, and he's already ruled out for week three with a hamstring injury. So the Davis Mills experience will continue in Houston. Yeah, I don't know how many people out there really have exposure to Davis Mills, but I'm not sold at all. If you can use this opportunity and parlay him as a, or present him rather, as a starting quarterback in the NFL and try to get some value for him in a super flex league, I'm all about it. Deal it while you can. He's going to be exposed sooner than later, so make the move if you can. Yeah, during the draft process, he was a kind of interesting prospect because he's one of those guys that had a lot of hype but never actually had a lot of film to base this hype off of. Everybody kind of looked at him as a tools guy, a guy that can you know launch the ball from all different angles, uh, big-time arm strength, but never got that much experience in college due to injuries. So Houston took a flyer on him in the third with how complicated their quarterback situation is. And now they'll see if it pays off. I mean, Davis Mills, I think he's a guy that's obviously worth keeping on your team if you have him or picking him up if, he, if he's not on a team because he will get experience early. And uh, quarterbacks hold their value. So get him on your team if you can. Dow Henderson left the game late with a rib injury. The team is, in quotes, hopefully he'll be ready or hopeful that he'll be ready on Sunday. Yeah, very similar to the Tua injury. It's a rib injury. It's going to be a pain tolerance thing. But the difference between the quarterback position and the running back position and the obviously the punishment you take at the running back spot is going to make it a very different situation. But Coach McVay has already uh, spoken out and said that he is optimistic that he gets out there this week. Sounds good. Deontay Johnson had a his weekly scare. It seems like we get one every year or every week that he's facing another injury. This one was a knee injury that happened on the last play of the game. But the reports are that it's not serious and that they will monitor his week three availability. Josh Jacobs still dealing with an injury. He is questionable for week three. Derek Carr is also questionable for week three after he left the game and came back. 
uh, this past week against Pittsburgh. Yeah, the quote from John Gruden was that Derek Carr is questionable and Josh Jacobs is even more questionable. So I would take that if we're looking at old school situation, that's probably more Derek Carr probable and Josh Jacobs purely questionable. And lastly, I want to throw this one in there because he did have one big play to start off the game. Nico Collins had a 32-yard catch and then immediately left with a shoulder injury. So on a team that has a lot of – they have openings, <laughs> to say it lightly, uh, for, for people to kind of break out there. Uh, he has a chance, but now he leaves with a shoulder injury. And uh, Brandon Cook's still the guy there getting a ton of volume. Yeah, I think I heard somewhere this weekend that Brandon Cooks had a 50% target share in the second half once Davis Mills took over. So, yeah, oh definitely opportunity for a wide receiver, too, to maybe get some targets. <laughs> so the biggest thing that come out of Houston is Davis Mills loves Brandon Cooks. Fired up. There you up. go. Week yeah, two recap. A 50% target share turns into, like, two and a half fantasy points over the course of the second <laughs> half. Week two recap coming at you. Let's do it. So, Washington football team wins 30-29 to over the New York Giants, and they owe a thank you letter to Dexter Lawrence after his blunder of a penalty that cost the New York Giants the game. I think if Daniel Jones continues the, running the ball the way he did in this game, he could potentially be a league winner in Superflex with how late he was picked. I think he had 85, 90 yards rushing this past week. And it might be panic time for Antonio Gibson owners, but I wouldn't be one of those owners that are freaking out. I think he's very good, and I believe in his talent over the likes of J.D. McKissick in terms of uh, what we can project for him long-term, even for the rest of this season. Yeah, Daniel Jones, a career-high 95 yards on the ground. Sterling Shepard had nearly double the receiving yards of Darius Slayton and Kenny Galladay through two weeks. Terry McLaurin becomes the first Washington football team player with 10 catches or more and over 100 yards since Pierre Garçon back in 2014. First game on Sunday, the New England Patriots win 25-6 over the New York Jets. The Pats win their 11th straight over the Jets. James White is one of only three running backs with a 20% or more target share through two weeks of the National Football League season. He led the team in receiving week two. On the other side, Michael Carter actually leads the team in opportunities. 13 carries turn into 88 yards for the rookie running back. Yeah, Matt Jones, I'm convinced. You know, he's not sexy, but he's effective, and I've been saying it. Um... He's useful as a Superflex asset long-term. I think he's a great asset to have. Elijah Moore has awakened, you know, eight targets for the kids. You'll love to see that. Awesome to see. Uh, but what you don't love to see is the direction that these Jacksonville Jaguars are headed as they take an L from the vastly superior Denver Broncos, 23-13. to 13. In my opinion, this Jacksonville team is, is way worse than I thought they'd be. I wanted to be optimistic coming in about the talent and how they could potentially overcome a bad situation, but so far... That's not the case. There might not be a single asset you can comfortably start in this offense all year long. We might just have to accept that. On the Denver side of things, KJ Hamler did not see an uptick in volume, but Tim Tim Patrick was relevant, uh, which is good to see. Something that we were looking for coming into the review, the preview last week. But uh, I think overall, it's clear that Cortland Sutton is the biggest beneficiary of the Judy injury, and I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. Yeah, that loss marks 17 in a row for the Jacksonville Jaguars. James Robinson does outcarry Carlos Hyde 11-2 in the ballgame, so some optimism. Perhaps another sell window is opening for Mr. Robinson. Cortland Sutton, aforementioned, with 258 air yards. That's more than any player had in any one game over the entirety of the 2020 season. We're both gambling men. Here's a good stat for you. Teddy B, now 23-3 against the spread on the road. Wow. 
Book it. All right, and then an ugly game in Miami. Obviously, the two injury affected this one. The Bills went 35 to nothing over the Dolphins. The Bills, their largest shutout victory since 1992. I'm not taking much from this game. It was over from the whistle. Scrap it. Move on. Jacoby Brissett was bad. If Tua is out for a meaningful amount of time, the weapons in Miami will suffer big time. Buffalo scored more points than both of these next two teams combined as the Eagles fall to the Niners at home 17-11. to If I had to describe this game in three words, it would be conservative, conservative, conservative. Jalen Hurts saved his day with his legs, but I think you can expect that more as people start to figure out and get more tape on this new Philly offense, this new Nick Sirianni offense. And going back to Debo Samuel, he's continuing to get a lot of opportunities, and it's to the detriment of both George Kittle and Brandon Ayuk. They, they both only had four and two targets, respectively. Uh, not as worried about George Kittle, but obviously Ayuk owners need to, need to be prepared to continue benching him if, uh, if this is the way things are going to go, at least for this early portion of the season. Yeah, we're going to talk a little bit more about the situation there in San Francisco a little later on. But the San Francisco 49ers are 2-0. and The last time they started season 2-0, and they made the Super Bowl. Elijah Mitchell leads all running backs and snaps with 42, despite briefly exiting with that shoulder stinger. Holy cow, Devontae Adams is hashtag good at football. Sorry, we just kicked off the second half in Lambeau. On the other side of the ball, Jalen Hurts, averaging 76 rushing yards per game over his five complete games. That's 12 more yards than Lamar Jackson has averaged over his career. You're flying with these stats today, dude. I'm loving it. Oh, I'm prepped, baby. To Indianapolis, where the Rams squeak out a 27-24 win over the Indianapolis Colts. Marlon Mack working his way into the rotation in the Indy backfield limits Jonathan Taylor to just 30 snaps on the day. That's less than 50% of the team's offensive snaps. The Colts, the only team pending Monday Night Football, which is currently underway. Doesn't look like it's going to happen. The Colts are the only team with a running back drafted in the top 50 without a rushing touchdown. Sony Michelle did not see his first touch until the fourth quarter after Daryl Henderson was injured. Henderson was doing quite well on the ground before that injury. Sony Michelle looked good in moves. Whoa, Michael Pittman. Did we see a little breakout there? Am I seeing a yeah. little breakout from Michael Pittman? Yeah. I mean, it was good to see, yeah. but but the quarterback that was thrown in the ball is now facing a potential long-term injury if those ankles don't check out. So I want to count on Jacob Eason continuing this trend. Uh, but we're heading over to Yinzer country with the uh, Vegas Raiders toppling the Steelers 26-17. to Surprise, 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 the Raiders are 2-0. And uh, I think it might be because they're actually starting to throw the ball to wide receivers. Hunter Renfro and Henry Ruggs, both with seven targets. Brian Edwards with a slightly disappointing three targets. But it's nice to see that they're somewhat changing the way they run that offense there in, uh, in Vegas. And... We spoke about Deontay Johnson a little bit before. If he misses some time in the near future, look for Juju to have the biggest bump in uh, targets and receptions going forward. Yeah, early on in the season, Deontay Johnson is one of just two wide receivers in the NFL with a better than 30% target share in both Week 1 and Week 2. The other one obviously being Cooper Cup over in Los Angeles. Speaking about Ruggs and Edwards, yep, they combined for eight catches on 10 targets. And Derek Carr, 350 or more passing yards in three straight games. That's the longest streak in Raiders history. In Chicago, the Cincinnati Bengals fall to 1-1, one 17-20 one, against the Chicago Bears. Bengals, four second-half turnovers cost him the game. Joe Mixon didn't have a great game on the ground, but he did handle 100% of the team's rushing attempts, something to keep an eye on moving forward. His ceiling is still right there among the best running backs in fantasy football. And Allen Robinson disappointing eight catches for 59 yards through two weeks of the young season. Listen to this, right? Andy Dalton, Justin Fields, 
one of these quarterbacks had an adjusted completion percentage of 100%, a 133 passer rating from a clean pocket, and an 80.1 PFF grade. The other one had an adjusted completion percentage of just 58.3, a 68.8 passer rating from a clean pocket, and a 43.6 PFF grade. I'll give you a hint. Justin Fields did not play good. It was bad in his first real action, but I'm not stressing about it. It was just, this is just a reminder to, to chill out, let him develop a little bit before we start fitting him for a gold jacket. The same way that we were in your ears during the preseason telling you to calm down on the hype, expect the opposite here. Don't overcompensate. Exactly. And uh, speaking of jackets, uh, we need to find a straight jacket to put David Culley in because no one Jesus. in their right mind would coach to lose the way that he did. Houston falls to Cleveland 31 to 21. And don't start any Texas under the Brandon Cooks for the rest of the year. I'm calling it now. Don't even touch him. Don't even think about it. Try to trade him if you can. Brandon Cooks is the only asset to have there besides maybe Davis Mills if he pans out. Doubt it, but we'll see. Um, Brandon Cooks, his volume of production seems to be very reliable. It seems like it's going to be there every week as they're probably going to be facing poor game scripts. So he's a guy to have. And then on the other side, Anthony Schwartz, he kind of disappeared in this one, which is disappointing to see, but... You know, so is the life of a one-trick field stretcher and a rookie one at that. Yeah, David Culley, if you didn't see it live, he declined a penalty on third down to make it fourth and two and then punted the football. (laughs) He's the worst coach I've ever seen. That's literally all I have for notes for this game. All right, the Carolina Panthers beat the NFC South rival New Orleans Saints 26-7. Sam Darnold 2-0 is the best start in his young career. Terrace Marshall with the same amount of catches as Robbie Anderson this week, but the targets flipped. He was out-targeted by Anderson 6-3. The Saints haven't played a normal game yet, so I'm actually holding on to Callaway and Troutman, who have had slow starts to the season, to see if they rebound when the game script is a little more normal. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm still out on Sam Darnold. I think, he's been, I think he benefited from the Saints missing their three best defenders and half of their coaching staff, so uh, don't get used to it. I would sell high. You know, as much as I'm selling Darnold, I'm buying Kyler Murray's potential MVP bid. I mean, this kid is heating up as the Arizona Cardinals defeat the Minnesota Vikings 34-33. to Minnesota got kicked out of Arizona with the L. Max Williams and Rondell Moore, they were like the unlikely heroes in this one. It's worth watching to see if these two maintain this type of opportunity, 7-8 and eight, um, for each of them, or if this was just kind of a one-off and a super high-scoring game. But I think they're good flyers to get off the waiver wire this week. Or, you know, if you have Rondell Moore, it's great to see. Yeah, Baby Legs has been outstanding. He's been the overall QB1 for each of the first two weeks of the season. Rookie Rondell Moore has the fifth most receiving yards all time for the first two games of a 21-year-old rookie. And he's in great company with that. The other names, Stephon Diggs, Deshaun Jackson, Randy Moss, and teammate DeAndre Hopkins. Good company to be in for the 21-year-old rookie. Then down He's to the defending small. champs He's home. too small. <laughs> Won't hear it here. Now down to the defending champs home. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers trounce the Atlanta Falcons 48-25. Kyle Pitts. That's right. Leads the team in receiving yards as Matt Ryan throws four touchdowns. But unfortunately for Mr. Ryan, half of those were to the wrong team. Brady's four-plus passing touchdowns in four straight games is the second longest streak in the NFL since 1950. You said Matt Ryan threw four touchdowns. I was looking at my notes like, no, he didn't. (laughs) (laughs) Kyle Pitts led the team in yards, but he was tied for fourth on the team in targets. So I'm hoping for better days in the target department for Kyle Pitts. 
Ronald Jones was the, in quote starter, but he was outpaced 15-9 to in the opportunities by backfield mate Leonard Fournette. From one barn burner to another, the Tennessee Titans win in overtime 33-30 to over the Seattle Seahawks. Hopefully you listened to us last week when we said this game was all about Derrick Henry because he made a lot of people a lot of money in DFS and route to finishing as the RB1 on the week. Russ lit up another secondary, and with the Vikings on the slate for week three, I don't see it slowing down. Yeah, Derrick Henry is outstanding. He had more rushing attempts than any running back in the NFL since 2017 when Frank Gore had a couple carries more. He's quietly had eight catches through the first two games of the season, so look out for dual threat Derrick Henry. Julio Jones notched his 30th career game with over 100 yards and no touchdowns. That's eight <laughs> more than any other player in NFL history. I don't understand it. Make it make sense because a guy like him, the way he's built, how athletic he is, how does he not get in the end zone? From a game that was a shootout to a game that should have been, the Dallas Cowboys win 20-17 to on a last-minute field goal against the L.A. Chargers. Austin Eckler over a 20% target share on the season despite not seeing a single target in Week 1. Interesting sat Zeke with more than double the snaps of Tony Pollard in Week 2, but only two more opportunities, 18-16. to Yeah, fairly disappointing game for a lot of the Cowboys' weapons outside of CD and uh, Tony Pollard if you were lucky enough to start him. You gotta have at least a low level of concern if you're a Zeke owner after back-to-back weeks of Pollard getting quite a bit of work and him being better in almost every way outside of maybe pass protection. If you're worried about Zeke, you're probably worried about CEH. I mean, from what he did last night as Kansas City fell to the Baltimore Ravens, 36 to 35, CEH finished with just 43 yards, zero receptions, and no touchdowns. That's pretty gross. And hey, Kyle, it's time for your weekly reminder. Travis Kelsey is the tight end one. (laughs) I will admit my mistake, my critical blunder, if you will, about Travis Kelsey as soon as you admit that you were wrong about Kyle Pitts. Another receiver on the Kansas City Chiefs, Mecole Hardman actually ties for the team high eight targets with the aforementioned Kelsey. He just didn't do a lot with him. Tyson Wilson, Tyson Williams rather, outcarries Latavius Murray 13-9 in what is Lamar Jackson's ninth career game of 100-plus rushing yards and 100-plus passing yards. That's the most of any player since dating back to 1950. Put a fork in her. Weekly recap is over. The final segment of the day we have our contenders and rebuilders buys and sells sorry are, are you do you have the game pulled up right now the monday no, night game I'm, I'm in a different room uh they have yeah. brett Favre on I'm, I'm watching the peyton and eli uh broadcast it's pretty great because of, well yeah the reviews were outstanding for a week one i turned it off in the very beginning because i i just I, don't know, I just wasn't about it. i wanted to watch a normal game but after seeing yeah. the reviews i had to watch it but anyway they have brett Favre on right now and he's staring at his webcam which is off center of his screen with his face way too close to the camera, like a generic 60 year old who has never worked around computers has ever been. (laughs) Yeah. I I mean, obviously we're recording, so I don't know what they're talking about. I'm sure he's talking some really intelligent stuff. You got a lot of talent between him and the, in the Mannings there, but just watching his, (laughs) just watching him try to work technology is a sight in its own, even without the sound. All right. Sorry. As you were. It's all good. Uh, Yeah. I mean, it's like every dad ever. <laughs> That's it's a hundred percent what it is. Yeah. No, right, well, you're gonna start us off here, man. Hey, hey. Bye, Felicia. Bye, bye, bye. Bye, bye. Okay, I love you. Bye, bye. Not now. Who's there? Bye, bye. Yeah.
Bye. Who is our contender by for the week? We talked about a guy a little bit earlier, and I'm going to bring up now. His name is George Kittle. If I am a contender, I'm putting in offers. I'm sending offers to the George Kittle owner and trying to get him on my squad right now. So no denying it's been a pretty rough start. He's currently the tight end 13 on the season. He has eight catches on nine targets for 95 yards and without a touchdown. A current target share for the 49ers of just 16%. In context, Debo Samuel's getting all the hype over there. He's got a target share early on in the season of 36%. It is my belief that these two numbers are going to even themselves out. They are going to correct themselves over the course of the season. And I have historical data, of course, to back it up. So Kittle, he had a target share dating back to 2018. I like to use that year as reference for the 49ers because that was Jimmy G's first year in town. And George Kittle had a target share of 24%. Now, you might be saying, well, Debo wasn't in the team yet. He didn't come on to the league until 2019. Well, when Debo got to the scene in 2019 and also had his breakout in the NFL, George Kittle still had a target share of 22%. And Debo's, in spite of the great season he had, was down at 16%. Last year, George Kittle, a 20% target share, in the games leading up to his injury and games where both Debo and George Kittle played last season, Debo only had a target share of 17%. So that's back-to-back seasons with Debo and Kittle where Kittle was demanding a much higher target share throughout the season. That hasn't happened early on. It's been the Debo Samuels show and the reasoning for that. Debo Samuels been good through two weeks. He was, I am, however, not backing off my take last week of telling you that he should be a sell if you have him on your team. Right now, Debo Samuel leads the NFL in receiving yards with 282 on 15 receptions. He also leads the league in yards after catch with 155. He has four catches of over 20 yards. That's tied for second in the NFL. And two catches of over 40 yards, which is tied for third in the NFL. The amount of efficiency, efficiency rather, that we're seeing from Debo Samuel right now is not sustainable. And you're going to find when we get to ourselves later that that's going to be a common trend in my analysis for this week. Jimmy Garoppolo is currently 25th in the NFL in pass attempts. He only has 55 on the season. When that number starts to get a little higher, when San Francisco finds themselves not in a positive game script, like they found themselves over the first two weeks of the season, where they have to throw the football, George Kittle is going to get his number called. We've seen it enough historically that we really shouldn't be doubting it at this point. What I do doubt is the massive efficiency that we've seen from Debo Samuel through the first two games of the season. I don't think it's sustainable. And when Jimmy needs that target and he can't get that bomb play to Debo or that massive yak break off against some, sorry, shoddy, but piss poor defenses, even though, sorry, Philly, Philly played him pretty well week two, but he did have obviously some big plays and then Detroit just didn't have an answer for him. Time for the cherry on top. Looking down the road, because we're talking about contenders, if I want to look at the fantasy playoff schedule for the 49ers and George Kittle, they get Atlanta, Tennessee, and Houston. Not exactly a murderer's row of defenses to finish out your season in the playoffs. I He might be the, the tight end one over that stretch in the entire NFL. And oh, by the way, the reason I want to get him in right now, this milk toast Swiss cheese defense that the Packers are trotting out there, We'll travel to San Francisco next week. So get in your buys now. So I agree with you. I like George Kittle a lot as a player, as a talent, and I think he will rebound. But for devil's advocate, I got to bring up, you said that he had 24% in 2018, 22% in 2019, 20% in 2020. You could see the trend here, right? It's kind of going down a little bit. And then in 2021, he's down so far at 16%. Are you not concerned about that at all? There is a a bit of a trend with the target share. 
No, because I think even if it's 16%, that's how he finishes. Even if he's a high teens guy instead of a mid to low 20s guy, it's going to take some more volume. And look at the running backs. I don't think we can sit here and pretend like San Francisco is content to run the ball 30 to 40 times a game with guys who aren't even on the roster yet. They're getting so decimated from injuries. At a certain point, Jimmy's going to have to throw the ball more. They're going to have to come from behind, or they're going to have to keep pace with another good offense. The two offenses that they've run into so far, Detroit and Philly, while they may be okay, they're, they're not exactly 30, 35 points per game offenses. So San Francisco hasn't been in that track meet game yet. Those games are going to happen at some point throughout the course of the season. And when they do, Kittle's going to get the volume. I'm just not, I'm not worried about it. He's going to get the volume. I'm not worried about, because we've seen it from him his entire career. Yeah, I mean, that track meet game you're mentioning might just be next week against Green Bay. And mm-hmm. uh, I was actually looking at that matchup, and I was thinking about picking a guy for my rebuilder buy that's also a San Francisco 49er and Brandon Ayuk, but I pivoted last second and I went with my roots. Went back to my roots, hitting up Zach Wilson. So I feel for Zach Wilson. He had a brutal four interception game this past week. He is the proud owner of the worst performance at his position in week two. But let's bring some context to this. If you haven't already heard it today, because I know people have been talking about left and right, he played Bill Belichick, and Bill Belichick has quite the resume when it comes to playing against rookie quarterbacks. Bill Belichick-led teams are 22-6 and for his rookie quarterbacks. They've allowed less than 10 points to rookie quarterbacks per game over the last six games. They've forced a combined 20-41 and 41 touchdown-to-interception ratio from these rookie Yikes. quarterbacks. So Zach Wilson fell into the same trap that a lot of these young passers do. And uh, similar to his predecessor there in New York, he was he was seeing ghosts for sure, and that's perfect because that's what lay we... off Sam Darnold, man. <laughs> lay him Benny alone. Let Sam he's he's two and zero. He's doing great. I Give him a break. Hate his face, dude. This is everything about him. <laughs> <laughs> but what happened last week and and his poor showing week one? That's almost perfect for rebuilders. You know, that's what we want. We want to target a guy that is coming off. Poor performances has a negative view from the public, the fantasy public, that is. Um, and we want to try to get them on the low because, you know, he has a top-notch arm. He's still the same quarterback that was taken second overall in the NFL draft. Now, granted, a lot of people don't think he should have went second overall, but the consensus was top fi- top five pick for Zach Wilson. He has a great arm, and we know that the he was going to have the second biggest adjustment to make out of almost all the rookie quarterbacks other than maybe Trey Lance. He came from BYU behind a fantastic offensive line. He was facing lower-level competition. So the adjustment was always going to be steep. But then it gets way steeper when you face Bill Belichick and the Patriots in the second game of your career. So I think trading for Zach Wilson is doubling down on the tools and the potential and the investment from the Jets. And at this point, you know, I'll have it etched in my gravestone. When quarterbacks throw or show anything their value rises like crazy. So, And it stays there for a long time. It takes a long time to fall. So since Zach Wilson has only pretty much shown lowlights thus far, you got to look at this as a nice little narrow buy window to get somebody. And, you know, specifically in Superflex, you know, you could be purchasing someone's mistake, what they look at as a mistake. You know, they probably spent a late first, early second on him in Superflex. And if you can get him cheap, I mean, you fleece him and then – in two months, you're laughing when he throws for four touchdowns on Thanksgiving against the Texans. I think 
he has an, an amazingly high ceiling. And if you're a rebuilder and you can get a starting quarterback, a very young starting quarterback on the cheap, there's almost no reason not to when his value is not going to get any lower than it is right now, at least not for the next few years. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point, obviously, about the Belichick thing and the whole how well he does against young quarterbacks and specifically rookie quarterbacks. And I, I think we knew you. I don't think you were willing to admit it, but I think we knew there was going to be some growing pains for the New York Jets. You were the one pounding the over, completely adamant about how this was a Super Bowl team, and Whoa. I don't think you're going to back off that now. <laughs> Super Bowl team. So, so, so who am I to down, argue man. with your Super Bowl pick of the Jets? I really hope you cash that one. I, however was ready to pound the under all day because I said from the jump that I thought they were a year away. It's still a very young team with a rookie head coach, obviously the rookie quarterback that we're talking about now in Zach Wilson, who has all the physical skills, and that's why I'm not worried. There are brighter days ahead. I'm not going to judge him based on what he's done with a piss-poor talent roster the same way I'm not going to judge Trevor Lawrence. I mean, how many people are putting in, how many people are trying to sell Trevor Lawrence in Dynasty right now? Nobody, because they know there's better days ahead. And it's the same thing for Zach Wilson. Once this team starts to improve, Zach Wilson will improve with it. He will be a major part of the reason for it. It's going to take some time to gel. All right. I look for some steps this year. I look for some steps next year. And then maybe by year three, maybe year four, we're talking about a quarterback that you could get now on the cheap that is going to pay dividends tenfold. That's baby Brett Favre, man. <laughs> Is it? <laughs> I was like, oh, he's going to say something. He's going to say something. I don't have a lot to add for that. I mean, right. Brett Favre came in his first game, and he led a comeback attempt against the Cincinnati Bengals down by like three touchdowns. So yeah, he also I, I sent get... picks to trainers. So, you know. There's, there's Is Zach Wilson doing that? Is that where the comparison came from? <laughs> I hope so. I hope he's doing that. I mean, right, same going... team? <laughs> We're going We're a little in the weeds to here. the cells. <laughs> Cell. What? What are they selling? Chocolates? What? No, no, no. No, take just get it out of here. You can sell anything. Sell, sell, sell me this pen right here. You can sell anything. Sell that. We all sell out every day. Might as well be on the winning team. Cell! You got? All right, I'm kicking us off again for the cells. Marquise Brown. Hollywood, the guy who everyone was drafting in the triple digits and redraft, and now suddenly everyone thinks he's a wide receiver too again, like they hoped they were, like they hoped he was when they were drafting him two years ago. All right. So through two weeks on the young season, Hollywood Brown is the wide receiver five overall in half PPR and in standard. Not buying it. He has 12 catches on 16 targets, 182 yards, and two touchdowns. He's tied for 10th in the NFL in receiving yards. Not buying it. He has four catches of over 20 yards this season. That's tied for second best in the NFL. Yeah, Hollywood's been hot. He's had a good couple of games. The Ravens offense has been in two track meets in back-to-back weeks in primetime to start off the season. He's hot dating all the way back to last year. He has eight touchdowns in his last eight games. But we all know, and if you don't, you know now, touchdowns are the most volatile stat in fantasy football. You cannot expect that to replicate. You can't expect for it to adjust back to the mean. Before that stretch of his last eight games with eight touchdowns, he had scored just seven touchdowns in his first 22 games, and that's a little bit more like the touchdown rate that I expect for him to have over the course of the season. Look at the Ravens' offense right now. It's been outstanding. 30-plus points in both weeks because they've had to go down to the wire. They've had games won on the final few plays in 
both won in overtime. And then obviously the thriller last night, Sunday night against the Kansas City Chiefs that literally came down to that last play. It's not going to be the game script every week. There's going to be games where the Ravens have the game in hand and they're putting salt on the wounds at the end of the game. They're running the football. They're not using these downfield shots to be aggressive in the late minutes of the game. What they've done so far, Lamar Jackson, 24th in the NFL in pass attempts. He's finished 23rd in each of the last two seasons, so the attempts are actually right on par with how he's been for his entire career. But there are some things that we're not paying a lot of attention to. One, Mark Andrews, although he's been involved, hasn't really been the dominant number one weapon that we've expected from, to see from him over the last couple years as he's taken over as Lamar Jackson's favorite target. He's got a target share right now of just over 21%, which isn't bad, but he only has nine catches on the season and he hasn't done a ton with him. And as we know with our what we've seen in the past from... Mark Andrews from Lamar Jackson is that he's his favorite target, that easy check down over the middle of the field. And that's been more or less Marquise Brown's role when he's not sprinting deep and getting overthrown by 10 yards in the early parts of the season. A guy who's coming back and is eligible to return as soon as week four is Rashad Bateman. And Bateman... My expectation, any my expectation anyway, is that he's going to start taking over that role over the middle of the field and start taking some targets away from both Marquise Brown and Mark Andrews. And I think eventually he's going to evolve into the number one target on this offense. He's got that first round draft capital. I love the talent. I love the situation. Although a lot of people are sour on it, I expect him to be force fed targets as soon as he's comfortable with the offense. Marquise Brown, don't get me wrong, he's going to have some boom weeks. He's going to have some game-winning weeks. But I promise you, moving forward over the rest of his career, you're going to see a lot more weeks that sink you than you are weeks that will be won by Hollywood Brown. I like this pick a lot because when you look at Marquise Brown, he's he's a double-edged sword kind of player. A lot of these deep threats are where you never know when to start them. Um, and if you start them on a week where they don't hit, you're looking at a potential goose egg, you know, or maybe like a one-catch game. You know, when they boom, it's massive. But like you said... What, what has been typical from him is about a touchdown every third game, whereas this past eight games, he's had a touchdown in each game. So it, it's about trying to figure out when to use him. And I don't, you know, I don't know about you, but I don't want to have to make that decision every week when if you sell him and you can get really good value for him, uh, you could potentially upgrade your starting roster immediately and have a guy that you can reliably put in your roster. And, and, and like, don't, get me, don't get me wrong, though, if I can cut in real quick. Like that... That hasn't been all he's been through the first two weeks. He's been getting his A dot is lower than it's been in his entire career, his average depth of target. He's getting those targets over the middle of the field and those short area targets. My expectation is that those targets are eventually going to revert back to Mark Andrews. And once Rashad Bateman's on the field, maybe once Sammy Watkins gets a little more comfortable with the offense, not saying Sammy Watkins is going to take over as the number one, but he can eat those targets on the boundary and over the middle of the field and these guys are going to take the targets away from Marquise Brown. And I think his role eventually reverts back to what we've seen him used as in the last couple of years as that spread the field deep threat for Lamar Jackson, who throws, sorry, one of the worst deep balls in the league. And like you said, Rashad Bateman, eligible term in week four. If you look at his proposed injury timeline, he's almost in that window right now to come back. Uh, they said six to eight weeks. We're almost at the six-week mark, if not right there at the six-week mark. So you're looking at maybe a week or two weeks before Rashad Bateman comes back. And, you know, they also spent more draft capital to get Tylen Wallace involved as well. And he's also uh, more of a deep threat wide receiver that could potentially take targets away from the role that Marquise Brown has had in the past. So that plus everything you said, I think makes for a great contender sell, no doubt. 
Our last player we're going to talk about is our rebuilder cell. So we had a tight end, a quarterback, and a wide receiver. It's time for a running back. Now, this one might shock you. Wow, nice diversity by us. We don't coordinate this. I mean, we pick the guys that we believe in. It just worked out. Good diversity, a little something for everyone. There you go. So this one might surprise you. You might, you know, hear gasps. But Dalvin Cook is my rebuilder cell. So, <gasps> yeah, I know, right? It's blasphemy. You can't say that. But Dalvin Cook is probably the second or third best running back in fantasy at the moment. So why would you sell? The obvious answer is age. Then you look at his age, you're like, he's 26. That's not too bad. No, it's not It's not horrible, but, you know, it's between his age and his injury history combined is my biggest reason why, if I'm a rebuilder, I want to sell him now. Dalvin Cook's injury history over his football career thus far, this includes college, an ACL tear and reconstruction, a left shoulder dislocation, a right shoulder dislocation twice, including a labrum tear, an ankle sprain, a grade one hamstring pull, a grade two hamstring pull, a grade two groin strain. Now, no injury is great, but most of those injuries don't really scare me. I think they're kind of onesies, twosies injuries. But the ones that do are the shoulder injuries. These are injuries that have a high probability of recurrence due to the ball and socket nature of the joint in the shoulder and the wear and tear that dislocations cause on the shoulder joint. Now, that alone is tough, but then you look at the position he plays, running back, where your shoulders are often the first point of contact with the defender on rushing attempts or when you catch the ball out of the backfield. You know, you're taught to lower your shoulder and make contact. And that's directly where he's had his worst injuries of his career. Now, he's still great to with to, to get past that now. I mean, he's he's missed only two games each of the past two years. But as he gets older, I'm really concerned about those recurring because, like I said earlier, they have a very high chance of recurrence. Not to mention, he didn't get surgery the last time he dislocated his shoulder, and that even increases your, your chances of re-injury even more. So I kind of look at him as a potential Todd Gurley type back where he's hyper-productive and he's really hyper-utilized in his offense, but all that volume on a back with degenerative shoulders has me convinced that if you're rebuilding, yeah, I'd much rather sell him right now where he's at his highest value because he's already 26, so the drop-off's probably going to come earlier than you think. And it could come really abruptly with a back like him who's getting so much run in the offense that he's in right now. So you, what you, you might, sorry, I don't, I yeah, don't mean to cut you off, but I, I think you made some really good points there. Cause it's almost like it's, it's a narrative about Dalvin cook because any fantasy owner knows like, Oh, every single week you have one or two plays in the game where Dalvin cook goes down. He's holding his shoulder. It looks like his season's over. Like it happens every single week. And you might've just explained why that is with those shoulder injuries and the massive uh, punishment that they take every single week. If it turns into a pain tolerance issue because of the recurring injuries, then I could see how really any kind of physical impact to the shoulders would make me think, Jesus, my career is over, but then obviously it's going to heal after that. But it could just be like, the amount of wear and tear that they've suffered over the years. I mean, you listed them all out, and that may be the reason that every single week we see Dalvin Cook on the turf, and it's a great point to eventually one of these hits is not just going to be a pain tolerance thing. It's going to be a legit thing. It's going to be a season-ending thing, and if you're a rebuilding team, that's not something you need. No, I mean, think about how quickly his his uh, value tanks if he has a season-ender right. in week three, and then next year he's 27. Uh, he's not necessarily on a great team. Completely different prospect or completely different situation. Then Totally different. And I I can see that happening. And you don't want to get caught holding the bag with with a running back that is so valuable right now. I mean, where did he go in Dynasty Startups just this past year? 
first round pick, right? Uh, yeah, if you, I mean, if you're he not was super flex, like probably the second running back off the board. So yeah, depending on format, I mean, he's going somewhere in the first round. Yeah, and that that scares me because if you have he, his value is not or his value is not getting any higher. At, at no point will it be higher than it is right now. So if you're a rebuilder, you got to get out from under this. You got to take as much as you can get for this. And I mean, talk about contenders. What contender doesn't want Dalvin Cook on their team right now? I mean, there's a deal out there sure, to be made absolutely. if you're a rebuilder and you have Dalvin Cook. And you got to strike while the iron's hot, for sure. You can get a first-round plus right now for Dalvin Cook easy if you're a absolutely. rebuilder. Like, first round is, is the starting point in negotiations. Because, I mean, you sell him to a contender, you're talking about a first-round pick now. And then, I mean, I, I don't think two two ones even and then some is off the table. If I'm a rebuilder and I'm a running back, or if, sorry, if I'm a contender and I'm a running back away, I'd give away a couple years first for a, like we said, a top two or three running back in the game right now. No question. And then maybe I got another asset that I could toss in on the end of that, who isn't going to help my team in that playoff push, but is going to help this rebuilding team later on. So I love the pick. I love Dalvin cook and getting him off my roster on a rebuilding team. And I do think he has plenty to offer. Granted, he stays healthy. If you are a contender. How about this? I bring it full circle. Super flex. I am a rebuilder and I sell Dalvin Cook for Zach Wilson and a 2022 first and a 2023 third. Hmm. I think I. So am I the team you're trading with? Am I the contender who wants Cook? Yes. Yeah, I'd, I'd do that. I send away Zach Wilson, a first and a third easy for yeah. a top running back in the league. In super flex? <clears throat> yeah. Uh, I do I'm, because I mean, if I'm a rebuilder, it's all about the shit, man. Yeah. I'll I'll sell away what I got to I, what I got to sell away to get that shit. Exactly, and I don't think that the rebuilder is getting you know hosed there. I mean, if you want to get more, I get it, but and and you probably don't think about Zach Wilson the way I do. I have a lot of hope in the kid, but I think you're getting a starting quarterback, a first round pick, which you could potentially get another starting quarterback or a position player that will help your roster immediately and in the future, and then another pick that you can use as an asset to either use it to draft a player or to add into other trades to keep you flexible. As a rebuilder, we need to be able to find value quickly and have the assets to pursue it. So in my opinion, I would do that trade. I think it's a good trade for both sides. Sorry, I'm chuckling over your point right now. Clearly, my all my shit talk at the beginning of the show, just someone relayed that to the Green Bay uh, locker room at halftime. They've come out and they the defenses look completely different in the second half. They've they've shut down the Lions zero points and they just got a fumble recovery on a botch snap and Green Bay starting to take command of this game. How about that? Speaking of taking command, you know I couldn't go to this whole show without bringing it up. Our league of record, me and Kyle, uh, happened to face oh, yeah. this week. Yeah. And uh, the combination of Terry McLaurin, Aaron Jones, Jalen Hurts, they brought it home for Oh, the you game. don't even know about Aaron Jones. You're sitting in another room. Uh, he had two receiving touchdowns when when we started recording. He's already got three, and oh there's there's God. plenty of ball game left. It's still the third quarter. This this is three receiving touchdowns. In in recent history, Kyle has he's beat my ass in fantasy. Oh, I've so, owned you. So I I've completely owned one. you. I needed. I am one. four and zero. Oh. Well, it's it's I'm four and zero oh in the regular season. We've only met once in the playoffs in this league, and you actually beat me that game. So. Which would you rather have, four regular season wins or one playoff win? Well, you're a Packers fan, so I know you'd like the regular season wins. <laughs> Jesus, man, come on. I just <laughs> spent the whole first half of the ship. Come on. Uh, all right, last segment. What do you got? Do you remember? Oh, I remember. 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 Oh, I remember.
Remember Joseph Adai? Oh, yeah, Joseph Adai. That's, dude, I, I could never spell his last name. <laughs> I still can't. Give it a shot. I give it a shot. Can. Do what you can do. Come I on, give it a shot. A double D. A I E? A E I? Oh, you were so <laughs> close. If you would have just shut up, it's just A double D A I. So close. He's wrong. He spells his name wrong. Dude, such a unique career where he had a thousand yard seasons in his rookie year and his sophomore year and then only broke 550 on the ground once he had 828 and 09 so just a really fast start to his career well over 2,000 yards uh over 20 touchdowns total over his first two years and then just never comes close to repeating that kind of success mainly with the colts right did he where else did he go yeah yeah, no, just that was it. Just uh, one, two, three, four, five. Yeah, six years in Indy. And obviously that was 06 through 11. So kind of right after Prime Peyton, right before Andrew Luck gets into town in that great transition area, even though it wasn't very long. And yeah, great start. Because I think, did he take over the running back spot from Edge? Did Edge retire in like Maybe. 05? I was going to say, they've had a up? really good recent history of running backs. Oh, yeah, uh, for sure. Yeah, I mean, Weird. you play James. with Peyton Manning and you look good. Thunk it. <laughs> yeah, let's ask any running back in uh, let's go Kansas City. Everyone wants a piece of him. Holy cow! I just talked about his running back stat line. You know what's even more impressive? His passing stat line for his career: one completion, twenty-two yards, touchdown. Career passer rating of the perfect one fifty-eight point three. <laughs> Oh, hell yeah. What a stud. <laughs> hey, we just put someone, Edge uh, in the hall. Let's get Joseph Adai in next. Someone uh, pulled up OBJ's passer rating on his attempt. Oh, it's got to be it's got to be amazing. It's oh, filthy. Yeah. <laughs> it, he, he's, he's a better like a quarterback than he was a receiver. Oh, yeah, like he's got volume. Him and Landry both. Like if, if Baker is out for an extended period of time, unfortunately Jarvis just went down, put Odell under center. Like, why not? Could you imagine the possibilities of that? I trust Stefanski to get the best out of him. He's going to do a hell of a lot better at quarterback than he'll do at receiver. So why not? Throw him under yeah. center. Odell can't get worse for the, his team right now, so sure. And then when Jarvis comes back, you disp- you deploy that two-quarterback set where you got the righty in Odell, you got the lefty in Jarvis, the southpaw. Defenses won't know how to defend this. There's right. no way. You put Odell and Jarvis in the backfield. You put Anthony Schwartz and DPJ on the sideline. Like, I, I want to see this offense. I want it to happen yeah. so much. And then Baker just has all the time in the world to do State Farm commercials. So they're great. Dude, everyone wins. Those commercials are hilarious. <laughs> everyone wins. Can you believe she's taking her kid out of tennis again? <laughs> okay, are you kidding me? Again? Again. <laughs> All right, man, tell, tell them where they can find us. Hit us up on Twitter, at FFlexecution. If you want my spin, hit me up, at FFMasterDebater. Oh, right. Good show, man. Green Bay's bouncing back. I'm in a significantly better mood. I will conclude the show in tranquility as Aaron Jones. <laughs> it's another f***ing <laughs> touchdown. <laughs>